Our scripture reading this morning is from Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, good morning again, Lake Baldwin. It's a privilege to be with you, and uh, as you probably heard from that text, it's brief, but it is uh, packed uh, with significance for us this morning. We're going to be looking at this idea uh, of freedom in the Christian life, and as you're likely aware, uh, freedom is a word or a value that uh, can be thrown around quite a bit, but we might not come to an agreement on what uh, its definition is. And so I think this text has um, something of great value for us uh, this morning. Paul here has been going on at great lengths talking about what it means to be a Christian. And in chapters four and five, he's starting to make a pivot of how are Christians to be? What are they to to do in uh, this life? And he picks up this idea of Christians are to be free. And now in in many other realms and definitions, you could define freedom in a couple different ways, but whenever scripture is talking about freedom and how we're gonna be looking at it uh, this morning is freedom is the freedom to be what you were made to be. That's what freedom is according to scripture, to be what you were made to be. And this is really intuitive uh, for for us when we think about it in other realms. Uh, You would never see a fish trying to climb a tree and think, now that's a free fish. Similarly, if you ever saw a horse trying to fly, you'd never think, well, that is a free horse. No, we know intuitively in so many different realms that freedom is to be free, to be Uh, to do what we were made to do, to be what we were made to be. And so Paul, as he is thinking about freedom here, he is recognizing that we are created by God to live in to this freedom, a freedom that we have in Christ that he's gone to great lengths to expound upon. First four chapters, he really has set like a foundation for the Christian life, what it means to be a Christian. He's pivoting now to what are you then to do? How are you to be in the world? And he's making a couple observations of what freedom does not look like. He's just gotten done talking about freedom does not look like following, falling back onto our performance, our, our works, how we obey the law. And then in our text, he just pivoted to saying it's also not being free to do whatever we wanna do. And so he's on one hand and the other freeing us from these, these false definitions of freedom. 
Um, I was really helped by this observation of these two heirs uh, by another campus minister. Um, but one of the times in, a, in the life of a college student that they really are faced with their newfound freedom um, is on move-in day. Now, this is true for all students, but particularly Christian students. When, when they show up to campus and that first move-in day, their parents hug them goodbye, they leave the dorm or the apartment room, closes, they kind of are sitting in their dorm on their bed realizing for the first time maybe, nobody's here. Nobody's telling me what to do. I'm free. What am I gonna do with this freedom? But you sit with students, like I often do, six to eight weeks into that first semester of college. And oftentimes, how they've responded to that freedom um, is, is one of these two ways that Paul talks about. They often haven't handled that freedom well. Some, on the one hand, might get really homesick, and they, they find themselves going home every weekend, kind of falling back into their old way of life. Now, Please don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Going home is not slavery. College students, visit your parents, they'll appreciate it. Um, but what I am saying is when faced with this new life, this new freedom, oftentimes what we can do is we can gravitate towards what we're comfortable, what we've known. And so students will, will oftentimes not live into this freedom that they now have and will, will find themselves going back to their old way of life. But there no, there's another group of students that oftentimes they see this as nobody's telling me what to do, nobody's checking up on me, nobody's giving me a curfew, and it starts this series of decisions that they think is freedom, that I can do whatever I want to do. But then when I sit with them in six to eight weeks into the semester, they'll say things to me like this, I never thought I would ever fill in the blank, but I've done that and even more. I don't even recognize myself even more after the decisions that I've made. And whichever camp students uh, find themselves in, what I think Paul is giving us an example of is, is freedom doesn't look like either of these. To, to fall back into our, our performance or to move towards freedom looks like we can do whatever we want to do. But, but freedom in the Christian life, I think, is something much different. And we're gonna see this in uh, three points for, from our text. We're gonna see our freedom in Christ through the call to freedom, the definition of freedom, and then finally the protection of freedom. Those three things, the call to freedom, the definition of freedom, and the protection of freedom. So first, the call to freedom. In, in addressing the, the Galatians here, he, he's a He's addressing their present and their, their future behavior, and he's doing that by cautioning them here not to use their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, it says. And, and Paul is cautioning them by referring to a past reality, this past reference to this, quote, call. What is this call? And he's saying this call has a purpose to freedom. This call is calling you to freedom. So what is that call? When short, it's a, it's a call to a free approach to God, into God's presence. It comes from him, and all those who are called and hear this call respond without hesitation, without pause. They don't go clean themselves up when they get this call. They, they hear this call, and they respond. 
And the reason being is because this call comes to the ungodly. That's the only people it comes to. And as that call comes to the ungodly, Paul says elsewhere that it is from a God who justifies the ungodly. Paul has gone through great lengths to prove this point up until this point, that this is a God who has called them is the one and same God who justifies the ungodly. But it doesn't leave the called there. It also delivers them into freedom to be what they were made to be. And this is a process that Paul refers elsewhere as those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that they might be the firstborn, um, um, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, very briefly, I wanna focus on, on three of those things he mentioned there in Romans because he's, he's speaking to two of them here and he's speaking out of one of them. And that's called justified and conformed to the image of his son. Because here in Galatians 5, he's speaking directly to this call and this process of being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And he's speaking out of everything he has just said about justification. And this call, it's you, you are recipients of it and you cannot train yourself to hear it or to respond it or resist it it is a calling from God to the ungodly that by his spirit, he actually enables you to respond to it. He, through this call, convinces us of our ungodliness, convinces us of our sin, convinces us of the misery of the world around us and how we've actually made a home in it. And this call calls us as a free call into his presence, not by anything that we do, but by his call and his call alone. And what he does is he renews. He renews our desires to follow him. And he does this all through the free offer of the gospel. That's the call to freedom that Paul is referring to here. And when he's, when he's referring to this, he's, he's making the point that God is the one who calls and is also the one who enables the response of the call. This is kind of a silly example, but if you get as many spam calls as I do, you, you might know this experience. But it's the, the, this call is the difference between a spam call and a summons from a judge. With a spam call, uh, you see the number, you see that you uh, don't know it, and likely, if you're like me, you ignore it. But sometimes you're feeling curious and you answer it. You might see what they're calling about. You get to stay on that phone call as long as you want, and you can hang up. But the, the big difference between that call is you're controlling, you are uh, controlling the response. Whereas if you receive a call or a summons from a judge, it has the power to evoke the response in you. But what's amazing about this call, this, this summons, is it's not summoned uh, to a court to be judged, but it's a call to hear the free offer of the gospel that judgment has already been rendered. You were called to this freedom, brothers and sisters, that by faith in Christ, you no longer stand in your ungodliness, but you actually have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved and into the kingdom of his light. And Christ, having lived for you, 
having died for you, having risen from you, having ascended to the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you in this very moment. He has given you, through the the beginnings of the call, his righteous record, and that is yours in Christ. He's given you now full access into the presence of God, not by your works, not by um, your performance, but all by his grace. That is the call to freedom that he's referring to here in verse 13. And yet, there's a really important qualifier that he makes to this call to freedom. He says in verse 13, brothers. And that word helps us to understand this second point, the definition of freedom. You see, this call comes not only to individuals, comes to you, but also calls individuals into a community. It calls individuals into a community or a family, the family of God. And what he's doing, what Paul's doing is he's talking about Christian freedom here is Christian freedom cannot be defined without this communal aspect. Christian freedom takes place in the community of God's family. And now, popular definitions of freedom, we've kind of alluded to, even they have these caveats of a communal Understanding. One of the most uh, popular definitions, I think, in our culture of freedom is freedom is to be free to do whatever you want, caveat, so long as you don't hurt anyone. And so even in our most popular definitions of freedom in our culture, there's this communal caveat that we, we find just to be instinctive. But if you poll uh, Americans, freedom is, is going to be up there as one of the highest values that we value as a culture. We, we think freedom is really important. But as soon as you introduce the topic of how do you define freedom, what is freedom, there's usually crickets. Or if people are so bold to speak up and actually share what they think freedom is, there's going to be disagreement on, on how to define it. And so said another way, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to talk about what somebody values in our culture, but the issue comes when we start to get into the question of what should one value? How would you define freedom? Because to impose my value or my definition of freedom is intolerant. It's it's not freeing. So the highest good oftentimes in our culture, it's it's a value of freedom without any definition. And so I think what Paul's doing is, is he's really helping uh, us who live in a very individualistic, freedom-valuing society to give a definition to what freedom is. And so what does he mean when he says you are called to freedom? He defines it as all scripture defines it in one word, love. Love, freedom in the Christian life is to, be, is to recognize that you were created to love God and to love your neighbor. You were created by a God who is love, and you were called by him to love as he has first loved you in Christ. That's the call. That's the life of Christian freedom that we are all called to, and that we are all being conformed to, to become better lovers in Christ. That is the, the freedom that Paul is calling us to. Said another way, when we start the Christian life, like we said, it comes to us in our sin as ungodly people, and then we are justified by his free grace. We are recipients of his love, and then he promises to conform us into the image of his son, and we grow more and more into that image. 
I've heard it described this way, that if you imagine a uh, former college athlete has a, a son and he gives his son his old jersey when he turns three. Now that jersey he gives to the son as pure gift. It is a gift. Um, he doesn't tell the son, this is what you did to earn it, young three-year-old. It is pure gift. It's got the family name on the back, identifying this son as a beloved member of this father's family. And yet, that jersey swallows a three-year-old, right? And so then there's this, this process that the son actually is going to grow and mature and grow into the fit of that jersey. And I think it's similar with this process that you and I are full recipients of God's love, of his name, adopted members into his family, and yet there's this ongoing call to freedom, a freedom of growing in love of God and neighbor that Paul is getting at here. That is the definition of freedom, to, to grow into that love. And what Paul is doing in this second half of verse 13 and really the rest of the passage, he's, he's saying you are formed, you are called uh, to be formed into better lovers but not to use your freedom for your own passions. For if you do that, that's not actually true freedom. Just as you would become slaves again if you tried to rely again on your performance or go back to your works, so too you're gonna enter an even worse type of uh, slavery or bondage, he says, if you are defining freedom as now that I'm in Christ, I can do whatever I want. He's saying, no, that is slavery. For freedom looks like growing in love to serve God and neighbor. John Stott is a commentator who helpfully put it this way. Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. It is an unrestricted liberty of approach to God as his children, not an unrestricted liberty to wallow in our own selfishness. The New English Bible puts it well, you were called to be free men, only do not turn your freedom into license for your lower nature. Indeed, such Quote, liberty, an unbridled license is not true liberty at all. It is another and more dreadful form of bondage, a slavery to the desires of our fallen nature. So Jesus said to the Jews, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And Paul elsewhere described us in our pre-conversion state as slaves to various passions and pleasures. He goes on to say, Christian freedom is no more freedom to do as I please irrespective of the good of my neighbor than it is freedom to do as I please in the indulgence of my flesh. It is freedom to approach God without fear, not freedom to exploit my neighbor without love. Freedom to approach God without fear, not freedom to exploit my neighbor without love. And while this probably isn't news to many of us, and it might sound simple. It's not simplistic that this idea of Christian freedom is a life of love. And to prove the point, I think, I'm gonna ask y'all to do something that was asked of me. It was incredibly awkward, but I enjoy watching people do it. So get ready, one second. I want you to love the person sitting next to you on either side in, in this way by stating to them in three to five seconds, you matter to me. Go. Okay, well done. 
Well done. You, you recognize the, the image of God in another. You love them. You, you told them that their presence matters. Now, I want you to take another three to five seconds and say the following. Your needs and well-being matter to me as much as my own. Okay, y'all survived that awkward interaction. I'm proud of you. Whether you are sitting next to a complete stranger or a spouse of multiple decades, you likely felt the weight and significance of that, that second statement of saying your well-being, your needs matter to me as much as my own. Because what I think that gets at that, that qualifying the type of love we are to have for our brothers and sisters, our neighbors in Christ, what Paul is getting at is you are to love with a deep affection, with a deep commitment of service to one another. And that's what he says. He says, Christian community is characterized by the word serve one another. And he's highlighting, he's showing that depth of affection that is to characterize all of our loves, not only for our closest family members, but for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for, for all the people that God might call into a relationship with us that presents a need to us. You are called to love them, to serve them, to approach them in humility. This is a high call. And so often we can feel the, the burden of it, our failure to do just that. Oftentimes I'll meet with a student and uh, throughout the meeting I'll notice that they're visibly burdened and sometimes they'll say something along the lines of, I'm just not loving God as I should right now. And I always think, I never say this, but I, I always think we didn't have to meet to talk about that. I know that. That's not news to me. I know that because that's true of my heart. That's true of all of our hearts, that we aren't loving God as we, we should in this season. And yet, I think what a more helpful question often is, is not, am I loving God as I should, but am I growing in trust and dependence on him? Am I relying on Christ for my security in the presence of God? Or am I falling back into hustling for my standing? looking to my performance? Am I relying on him for my satisfaction? Or am I looking to other creature comforts and, and pleasures in this life to satisfy me that numb uh, the ache in my heart, that numb my ability to move out and love my neighbor in humility and service? He's putting a picture here of Christian freedom characterized by that word, love. That's what freedom looks like. And then he ends with a startling picture of, of what happens in community when it doesn't look like this, when this freedom is not present. And that's our final point, the protection of freedom. He says here, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And what we see here is the protection of freedom. Without this community love, without this posture of humble service to one another, counting one another as more significant even than ourselves, what Paul's getting at is we will become consumers of one another. We, we will actually devour one another, he says. 
And it's a surprising and startling image because in some senses, it's, it's this image of Paul as shepherd of the Galatian church and you kind of imagine shepherds are to look out to the horizon to protect from dangers, from, from wolves, from bears, from lions, getting at the sheep. And elsewhere, we know that there are absolutely enemies of God's sheep outside the fold, as it were. But what Paul is making the point here is he's basically saying, I don't want to be on the lookout and look over my shoulder and see that the sheep are biting one another, that they have actually become a danger to one another, that this community is no longer a community of freedom and love, but it's one of consuming and biting and devouring one another. And this is all too common for the people of God. It's why the um, psalmist can, can say that it's not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it, but it's a friend. It's my close companion. When he names that, when the psalmist names that, and what Paul's warning about here is that basically sheep bites, in essence, hurt, hurt worse than the bites of wolves. And if you've experienced that, if you've experienced hurt by a brother and sister in Christ, maybe a spiritual leader within the church, you know what Paul is getting at here. When the very place that you are, are meant to experience love and freedom is the place where you have experienced hurt, where, where you've experienced betrayal, Paul's saying, church, it ought not to be so. That's not the characteristic of this community. And so when Christian community is being lived out as Paul is highlighting here, what he's basically saying is it is the safest, most secure, most satisfying, most forgiving, most humble community that we can experience. And that's the invitation he's giving to us this morning, is to pursue that free community. And while we'll never do that perfectly, while, while we're, again, going to always fall short, we can take great encouragement that because we are called to this freedom, a call, again, that we did nothing to earn, that we didn't have ears that were, that were more unplugged than others, that we didn't have brains that were smarter to discern the, the call, that were smarter than others, but that it was a call that by God's free grace to us, he enabled our response and calls us by the same spirit that opened our ears to hear that call to move out now in this humble service and love of others, he promises he's gonna give us that spirit. He promises to conform us more and more into the one who's called us. That is the great hope for the church community. And I wanna just close with this picture of, of why this is such a great hope, I think. I think it's a great hope because not only are you called to participate in this community of love, but you're also a recipient. You're a commanded recipient of this love. So I want you to imagine for a second that all the people that you know are in a room like this, and the one who's called the meeting is Jesus. And he, from the front row with your best friends, your, your, your spouse, your roommate, to the people that don't know you as well, maybe classmates, colleagues, um, you know, the, the, the people you see at the gym, everyone you know, from spouses to acquaintances, are in the room. And Jesus has called the meeting, and you are the topic of conversation. And he's, he's called them together to address them about you. What do you think he would say? Well, I think he he would say things like this. When 
when she does something evil and wrong towards you, seek her good. Don't try and get back at her and repay her evil for evil. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. When you are at a social event with him and someone you know better shows up or someone who has potential to benefit you arrives, don't leave him, but give preference to him. Show him honor by not leaving him for a relationship that is more advantageous to you. When he comes to mind, don't complain against him, but pray for him. If you have wronged him, confess to him. If she has wronged you and asked for forgiveness, forgive her as often as she asks. If you notice that she is discouraged, down, and broken, would you encourage her and build her up? If you see that he is apathetic in his love of others, would you encourage him to love and good deeds? Be hospitable to her. And on and on and on Jesus would go. You see that we are not only called to participate in this community of love, but we are recipients of Christ's very command to be a part of this community characterized by the freedom to love. And I think what that does is it really gives us the freedom to love as we have been loved. Church, that is the, the promise and the invitation that we have from this passage. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you call us to yourself with free access based not on anything that we have done, not on anything that we could do. It's not that you see potential in us, but that you have placed your love upon us in your son, Jesus. And he is the one who qualifies us to walk freely into your presence. And from that place of in your presence, we can grow in our knowledge of how deeply we have been loved by you. And that from that place of being beloved and adopted into your family, we actually get to participate in creating a community of love that you've called us into and that you have promised and enabled us to seek by the power of your spirit. And so for us, uh, your church this morning, would you find us faithful to be lovers responding to your love for us in Christ. We pray this in his powerful and precious name, amen.